Welcome to the Frank's Percussion Podcast. I'm Frank. A few times a year, I get to take a trip down to Philadelphia and catch up with my good friend, Evan Campbell. This time, we recorded some of it. When I was younger, at 18 or 20, I would go to live shows and be like, oh my gosh, Like all I want is to play a show where people are there. Evan and I do some strolling down memory lane and reflect on our time in the percussion studio at the University of Delaware. Evan also talks about his solo electronic music, teaching music, and experiences he's had drumming with the spectacular blackened hardcore death metal band Zorn, as well as other bands in the Philly punk scene, including Alien Birth and Crooked Spine. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Welcome, Evan, to your apartment. Hey, Yo. thanks for being on my podcast. We're here in, what part of Philly is this? By you, West Philly. West Philly. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do the song because everybody does the song, right? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. What song are you talking about? I don't, I don't know. Evan Campbell, you are a brilliant guy. You are one of my oldest friends, mm-hmm. and I'm really happy to say that. I'm really glad to catch up with you. I'm glad I got this trip down here to West Philadelphia. So we went to school together at Delaware. Yes. We were in the percussion studio, the only two in our grade that year. And despite some trials and tribulations that we had, I think uh, all's well that ends well. And we ended up hitting it off. We're still here over 10 years later. And I would say that we both helped each other quite a bit. We were even we were competitive with each other for a while, as yeah. well, but in a healthy way, uh, in a good way. Overall, now that it's all now that college is done, like thank Jesus. Yeah, we would compete for like orchestra auditions, win ensemble auditions. I remember you had a whole method to auditioning. You wouldn't do it last minute. You would I remember one time you were just you were sitting in the hallway with your eyes closed, like the like just. I know it's a podcast, so you can't see, but you were very zen, and uh, I was practicing up until the last, like the last second. I would go over to the other building, and then, you know, just practice right up until my audition. And then I would walk over and try to time it. That was my method, and your method was like, you've you've done all your practicing, and now it was time to like get mentally ready, which I thought was interesting and probably the better way to do it. Well. But we know how the story ends. <laughs> <laughs> but I ended up winning the audition. Twice, you beat yeah. me out. Well, the, and the first time, I w- was shocked because nobody had any idea you had been practicing. Well, uh, yeah, that was... Um, you were going to the other building. Well, I was a sophomore. Well, it was more that I was a lot more inexperienced and not as good as other people. Disagree. And Well, regardless, yeah. people weren't happy that I ended up... Winning that, even though I wasn't happy at the time, I it was just like I re- I was I, I had been practicing every day in in the main percussion studio, mm-hmm. and it was just come from behind. It was like you just took everybody by surprise. Well, there was also some discrepancy that one time because I think our professor Harvey Price, he was the only one 
I think for that audition, he was the only one in there. So people were saying that it wasn't necessarily fair because usually there was like, what, three professors doing the blind auditions. I think that audition, it was just him. Okay. Regardless, one of the older graduate students, he was like, hey, you know, I know you won, but like, let me be principal percussionist. And I was like, I was like, no. Really? Yeah. I was like, no, I want that accolade. I don't know if it's, I mean, it turned out not, you know, who cares? But at the time I was like, you know, I was like, no. (laughs) I was like, I want the little asterisks, asterisks, you know, on the program. Absolutely. And you earned it, Evan. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I would say only about Harvey Price being the only one in the room, I would say, well, he heard yours better than he heard mine. You know, it's like an overall thing, too. I've always looked up to you as a player, P.S. I've always thought you had more natural ability than I did. If, if I think you knew that at some point or another, but, like, I think you are the best. Well, thank you. But, uh, you know, I think you have better chops than me. I appreciate that. Better attention to detail as well. I think at least. But overall, okay, let's look. We'll fight about it after, all right? Actually, I had a dream last night that me and you were it was it I forget the details, so but it, it was basically we were in the orchestra somehow. We were doing something. Or like working towards a show or something like that. I had a dream about it. I wish I had kept a dream journal cuz that's how they say that's how you remember your dreams. So you write it down what, as soon as you have it. Yeah. And then eventually your memory retains the dreams. That'll bring you closer to lucid dreaming as well. Mm. So we were in the percussion studio together at UD, University of Delaware. And the other funny thing was that both our dads owned alarm companies, Mm -hmm. which we don't really have to get into, but home alarm companies. And I think they were in a similar capacity. Hardworking guys. Yeah. Blue collar, doing the same thing. And I just always thought that was such an interesting sign. But then for you to say you had a dream. So I was was writing this down before you came up from practicing a little bit. I was reading last night. I was reading a short story. And in it, it, the narrator was part of a group of friends who went to college together. And he mentions that, like, him, his four friends, they all moved to different cities. But mm-hmm. now the, the line was like, even though they're growing separately, it still feels as though they're living alongside each other. Interesting. I thought that was an inter- like an interesting coincidence. A good, I, I like that line for me and you. Because mm-hmm. I've come down to visit you in Philly quite a bit. You've come up to Long Island to see me. And I'm... Just so happy that we've stayed in touch. Great city. I love Long Island. I like their accents down there. <laughs> Even though it's up there, it's not a city. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's up yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Great city. Long Island. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is. I like, I, I've always, I always like it. You've always called it up there, too. Yeah, I say that for down every, there. everything. Down there. Yeah, yeah. Keep it down, down there. So I thought that was kind of serendipitous to like, just like, oh, what a coincidence. Living alongside each other. Because, you know. Yes. We keep in touch. It's good. Of course. You're a killer musician. You're not necessarily like in the main bubble of people on this podcast. Although part of our experience in school and part of our experience right at the very end of school and even a couple of years after was A, playing live music with tape, which you had done a piece like that on your senior recital. Yes. Yeah. 
And then B. Very dorky 80s style timpani accompaniment piece that uh, was kind of kind of cringe, but, but also dorky in like a prog way. It was pretty cool. I forget what it was called. The Final Precipice. Yeah. By I forget who. The Final Some Precipice. Some psycho. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird. It was a very weird piece. I thought you did a great job with it. Yeah, thank it. you. I thought it was cool. Then- as we graduated, you had written some material, mostly on computer. Mm-hmm. You were getting into synths then. Yeah, I was able to torrent an illegal copy of Logic, and I had a MIDI keyboard, so, I, so that's how I started to get into like electronic music. And and then at the, so then we kind of picked up some of the material you were working on, and tried to do our own sort of duo with tape. And we worked on that for a while. Yeah. A couple of years after college, a year and a half, we were like, we were visiting pretty frequently and playing music together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, one thing or another, but I only mention that because it's relevant to like a lot of the work that I've been getting where we have, I'm doing like live percussion with DJ. I'm always wondering about the blend, the mix. Live mm-hmm. instrument versus tape recording, even if you're running. Well, when you get to your synths nowadays, you're full analog. Is that right? Yeah, I have like a modular setup. Basically, it's the synth with all the wires. You know, it looks it looks complicated, but it's it's not really. I slowly transitioned from live percussion because I'm, you know, being a drummer, I did include like drums into my set. But over time, I've got, I've like separated the two basically from like my drumming with live instruments. And then like I used to have a drum pad I would play along to, to my electronic music. And then eventually I'd, I just got rid of that too, because it just, it felt better to separate the two, like live drumming versus the kind of electronic music that I make, you know, but, uh, blending the two is, is very difficult, I'm sure, but you know how to do it clearly. Thanks. I do my best. Mm-hmm. I'm always, that's that's the one thing that I feel like I can never tell. Even with video, it, it makes a huge difference where a person is filming from, where that microphone is in relation to like our loudspeakers and me. Yeah. But what did you think you said felt uh, better about separating it? Is like just the, is this the difficulty that we're talking about? Is this like, um, I guess it's just two parts of uh. I guess it was less. I felt like it was lessening the electronic aspect because I maybe, for me being a drummer, it was like oh this that's kind of boring. So like, now I'm gonna play drum pad over the electronic music. You know what I mean? And it was flashy, and people liked it, but I thought musically it was maybe like not. Felt like lesser musically as far as like creating to like compensate with like a flashy, flashy drumming over electronic music, you know? Okay. It sounds kind of like dorky and stuck up, but it was just like, it seemed like the right move for me. I'm glad I sold that drum pad. It was dumb anyway. So Roland Octopad, if anybody, any live performers, they probably know that pad because like they use a lot in like pit orchestras because it has a, a like a thousand world music sounds like so throw on a budget i I guess i'm kind of advertising it as well because it is good for like a cheap (laughs) pit orchestra 
you know, if you don't want to have all the instruments, you can just set the pads. But were you? Well, I like that you said it's kind of flashy, because and and people liked it. Because mm-hmm. I think that's part of my act is just being kind of flashy and people like it. But for you, were I? I remember you. You had certain placements where you went to your your drumsticks. Yeah, yeah. And this pad. Mm-hmm. Were you writing that in specifically? Yeah, there were like moments where I knew I was going to like, yeah, they're like drum f- features, I guess. Okay. I just never, I always felt like it was awkward and kind of pretentious to like all of a sudden switch over to the drum pad. You know, I don't know. It's it's a hard thing to explain. But I get it. Yeah. But I it's think. different It's different than what you do because I think you're creating a live element for, you know, if you're creating a live element for a wedding or, or an event, that's that's different. You know, that's like more valuable i think because people like seeing it and they like hearing it and things like that thanks i think and so maybe part of what you're saying too is that you like i mean you've since become much more focused on your set right like mm-hmm. your 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 gear i know you use a moog what's the name of the wire guy well first of all it's moog okay yeah yeah no. and then it's it's the modular setup is actually it's like a mix of a bunch of different like you can think of like a, a like components of a synth that you basically put together yourself by patching the cables and then you so it's a bunch of different companies basically that like depending on what you want your sound to be is it basically like a pedal board all in one box sort of but then if you take the like think of the guitar like the guitar would be its own component of the synth. So like if so you know, like the guitar would be maybe like an it starts with like an oscillator, which is basically like a waveform. And that's like basically like the waveform is like the is like square wave, triangle wave, saw tooth wave. So that would be like the car like the guitar component, you know like the sound source. And then it would go to a bunch of different things like like envelopes, which is like a attack decay sustain release so now you're like basically editing how the sound is is performed you know what the attack the the milliseconds on the attack the milliseconds on the release which is like the tail of you know if you had a drum or the the timpani would be like how long it rings out before you muffle it that's basically like the the release and then the attack would just be like the initial strike the attack gives like the some of the most character to your note, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's basically how quickly you hear like the maximum velocity of the the signal. You know what I mean? So that would be like the highest, yeah. You know, the most velocity is the attack, basically. Okay. So you could have that happen like halfway through. You know, like a couple milliseconds after to create like a a swell or like an arrival. I remember you telling me about. I'm guessing it was about five years ago. I think you were living in South Philly at the time, but I remember you telling me about your modular synth, or maybe about your Moog, or maybe about both. Mm-hmm. That you were coming home from work and spending hours just kind of getting lost in it and creating mm-hmm. on it 
and playing with it and experimenting? I'm getting back into it because I I put out some music before or during the pandemic, and then you know lately I've been really just focusing on drums. You know, playing in some local bands and, and things like that, which is, I guess, it's different than playing performing like comer- commercially, in a way because the shows are really good, but it's kind of like a DIY situation where like the money is not always there. You know, there's all these bands that people go out to their shows, you make money, but like the dynamic is different where it's like self-supportive where, you know, when we go on tour, that's the most money that we make as a, uh, as a local non-commercial band because the other, because this, whatever scene is in whatever city, they, they're the ones taking care of you and making sure you get paid. And then, when they come to Philly, it's it's kind of the opposite. So like they would make most of the money for the show. It's very like self sustaining, but and it's cool because you're playing your own original music. People are interested in it. Talking mostly about Zorn is who you've been on tour with, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm in this metal band Zorn, and we have a lot of success locally and on tour for like you know a DIY band basically. But playing local shows, there's not money to take home a lot of times because it, it goes into our band fund to make to make merch get ready for tour you know things like that have money for touring so the downside is that you need another job as well which i'm a music teacher so that's my other job right you've been teaching for a long time mm-hmm. all right i like teaching but um you know it's doesn't pay that doesn't pay that much basically any teacher knows that they don't get paid enough you know so you're you're expected to put in all this effort which i do because i feel bad you know like i i do love teaching and i and i i like kids and all that stuff but uh you know you really give it you give everything you have and then you don't really get that much in return as far as financial compensation so that's the that's the tricky part about teaching, you know. They they kind of prey on your love of passing knowledge and you know educating people. You know, not just kids. Like you could be a high school teacher, college professor. Like it's a it's a tough job just because of that. Just because you you the whole time you you kind of feel like you're not being supported or compensated fairly. Yeah, it's 2023. You want to feel taken it's, care of. Take care of me. Right. Right. Like you're taking care of these kids for, you know, like a hundred kids for an hour a day. So. Oh, yeah. You know. Where where are you at, Philly schools? Do my guy. Yeah. I I mean, I would. um Eventually, I'm going to transition out of it. The thing is with the bands I'm in, I, I've been teaching at these schools for a long time, so. I have leeway to leave for a couple weeks and they're not going to fire me. And it's kind of like I have some leeway. So that's what's keeping me there. Okay. Plus, summer's off. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. That's a nice thing in your work schedule. What have you been teaching? Like, what's your, what, what grade level? What, uh, what are you doing with, with your students? Uh, it's kindergarten through eighth grade. And then I do a lot of hands on stuff. I don't teach them a lot of music history because it's, 
boring and point. It's not pointless, but in my opinion, you know, if they're if if you get them interested in music first, then they're gonna want to discover music themselves. You know, so I'm not gonna waste time teaching them about Mozart. Like I would rather have them playing on mallet percussion, learning recorders, different orf instruments, different percussion instruments. I teach like general music and then choir. So have them singing, moving around. Like that's what I focus on musicality over like music history. But obviously my main, my two main like academic focuses are A, learning all the instruments and their names and how they sound. So like instrument families. Because there's nothing worse than I think like somebody getting to high school and not knowing. They look at an instrument, they look at a cello and they, they go, oh, that's a, a look at that guitar or something like that. Mm. Like if, if, if kids do that, then you kind of failed as a music teacher. Like they should know what the instruments are called. That's pretty easy, you know. And then just basic music reading, you know, the basics. Treble clef, bass clef, little rhythm. But then after that, I just focus on them like just playing and being able to like actually perform and things like that. Did you just have some concerts then around the holidays? Yep, yep, had some concerts. Everybody was sick though. Yeah, yeah. Everybody got sick in. Like a quarter uh, of the school was sick in November, December. Mm-hmm. Everybody got the flu. Yeah, so there's a lot of kids out, but it was it was fun. Did you get the flu? I did. How was it? I had the flu too. I Terrible. went to work anyway because I had all these concerts. Oh Jesus! So, but I didn't. Inf- the school was already infected at okay. that point, so I don't take any blame. <laughs> I mean, any any anybody who's a music teacher knows, like, if you have spring or winter concerts, you can't take off that week. Right. It's impossible. Yeah. The show won't happen. Yeah, even if you miss a day, it's going to really... The parents will kill you. Yeah. How'd your concerts go then? They're were fine. you still sick for the concerts, or were you, like, getting... I was, I was recovering during the concerts. Yeah, the, the flu I had, it took me, like, three weeks to after like really being sick it was another three weeks before i stopped coughing mm-hmm. yeah nasty flu nasty flu all right so evan campbell musician drummer electronic artist right mm-hmm. you were formerly going by qqq in your own thing yes yes do you want me to keep that in there or do you want to are you moving away from qqq because i think the last you'd mentioned you were yeah i can i'll my credentials for this podcast podcast are electronic musician, local drummer in the punk and metal scene in Philly for, you know, 10 years. Has had a lot of great experiences through that, you know. You know, I I played some shows. You know, when I was younger, at 18 or 20, I would go to live shows and be like, oh my gosh, like all I want is to play a show where people are there. So I'm able to do that, but I'm kind of trying to push to the next level. And then besides that, I'm just a music educator. Okay. Have you been on tour with Crooked Spine or Alien Birth? I have, yes. Yeah. Smaller tours, maybe like about a week and a half. Okay. Uh, but with Zorn, I know you've gone to Texas twice? Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you have any crazy stories? Well, the whole tour is great, but, you know, there's a lot of um, variables. So basically, when you're on tour, sometimes you don't know where you're going to sleep. You might sleep on the floor. You might sleep in the van, which is not great. Actually, I take that back because the past couple of years, it's too dangerous to sleep in a van in mm. the city. Somebody will break in. 
with you in the van? Yeah. From what I understand, it's very dangerous to sleep in a in a van with a bunch of expensive equipment because, you know, you could get shot or stabbed. But so I I try to avoid at least. But um, anybody who can't sleep, anybody who like needs their bed or like touring would be very hard in a band because you know a lot of times you are sleeping on somebody's carpet. You know, and it's not always comfortable and it's not always quiet either. You know, there's been times where I've been trying to sleep because like I can't where I'm just like, I can't go another night and people are partying Uh. close by. You know, if you're like the kind of person that like can't get to sleep without like your mattress and things like that, like it's going to be very hard to be in a band that's not already famous where they're getting like nice hotels and stuff. We stay in hotel rooms and motels when every once in a while on tour, but mostly we're crashing at people's houses that are putting us up. Like the local bands. Yeah. And then when we really need it, I would say like a two week, I'd say a three week tour, we're staying in a hotel, you know, four or five times the whole, the whole okay. trip. Usually. But that's doing it live too. Like, oh yeah. That's cooler than a hotel because you'll get more local culture that way too, right? Like, You'll go out with these people. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're already out in the venue. Some of the best part of tour is that the, the morning after when the people take you to their, like, spots, their lunch spots or oh, breakfast spots. Hell, yeah. That's, uh, what, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If the tour is good and uh, the shows are good, then you get taken care of. You know, like, when I go on tour in Texas, everything's kind of paid for. You know, we make money from the shows and that kind of stuff, so that's good. As far as crazy stories, every night is, like, Obviously, people want to party, which can get tiring because if you're on a tour and you've, after the show, you've been drinking and partying in, in whatever city you're in, you know, you really need a day off from drinking. But then you go to an, another town and the people you're, that the house you're staying at, the other bands, they, they're they excited that you're, th- you're there. You know what I mean? <laughs> so they want to party. Like, so you're kind of let, it's almost like you're letting them down if, <laughs> if you don't like you know, hang out and like, it's, it's, it's hard, it's hard to tell like a bunch of bands and, and people that are expecting you that like, you need to chill and like go to bed early, you know? And me, I don't do like hard drugs or anything like that. So like, it's impossible for me to, to keep it going as, as they say. I would only give that some context, um, that probably because the bands you play in, are very, very good. Zorn in particular, for anybody who doesn't know, puts on a crazy, crazy show. It's very theatrical. Mm-hmm. Your lead singer comes out in a coffin. He's in everybody's face. Yes. Right? Eric, what's Eric's last name? Tia Fleck. Tia Fleck. Who else plays in the band with you? It's me. It's kid Eric, singer, Harley, guitarist, now guitarist, Max, bassist, me, drummer. Good guys. We actually all went to the same high school. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'd imagine, like, you guys, I mean, looking at these concert posters, you're either, you're headlining on a lot of them. Like, half of them have Zorn at the top or, or, you know. Yeah. You're headlining on a lot of them. It's a great show, and your music is extremely high energy, and you guys rock. Thank so you. So I, I can imagine why people want to, like, drink with you after. and. Yeah, as far as local shows go in Philly, we're, I think we've done it all. 
for sure. So that's I think we're we're releasing a an LP in March, and we're hoping that that pushes us to the next level. We're actually putting this album through a, a label called Sorry State Records, which is a good, really good like punk label, and we're hoping it people like it, and then we can like just you know get to the next tier. That's what all music. I think a lot of musicians can relate to that like no matter what you do like just like pushing to the next tier of performance you know whether like you're an orchestral person that's like trying to audition for the next for like the better orchestra or something like that or or getting the like getting on higher paying gigs or something like that so that's what we're trying to do basically what's the record called i uh, just zorn a oh, self-titled mm -hmm. yeah for the vinyl yeah mm -hmm. cool yeah you were playing it for me it's awesome i've heard you guys play some of those songs live they're great maybe i'll cut some in here yeah let's cut some in right now Drumming in Zorn is usually very, very fast, very, very hard-hitting, very rhythmic. You're incredible. How are you? Those are your original parts for all three bands, Zorn, Crooked Spine, and Alien Birth, right? Yeah. Those bands I played very wildly. You know, I don't really... You know, I, I, some parts are written, but there's plenty of parts in this music where I don't know exactly what I'm going to play. It's, about, it's very... I keep it kind of wild, which is kind of my style for drumming. bands I'm in now they're just like they're a little more like open to just doing whatever I you know I'm feeling at the time would you say you get you play a somewhat different show every night yeah definitely you know sometimes when you know, when I'm playing I'll just think of something new to do and then I'll just do that for the next couple times you know so my parts do change over time which I, th I think is normal at least for drummers I mean what about you what as far as like playing like at a wedding, do, do you ever discover like a new beat and then just do that? Yeah, all the time. Mm -hmm. I try with a lot of like top 40 stuff, I try to stay out of the way like a drummer would, you know, on the on the record. I, so and, and in a lot of cases, that just means playing the record. But sometimes I want to emulate like what it would be to have, be a live show and have an extra percussionist 
Yes. Right? So like, like the drum set part's already there. Sometimes I play along to it, but sometimes I add a little bongo groove or like go-go bell on my cowbells type of thing. You know, Yeah, yeah. simple stuff, but again, to stay out of the way, to decorate a little. Yeah, I guess you, it, do you balance between like, I, I guess you don't want to be too flashy. You You want to create the live element though. Yeah, pick your moments with the flash. I tend to take some timbali solos that I'm like, afterwards I'm like, that was way too loud. <laughs> but you know, That's like cool, it's like, hey, like attention is here. Like, like I'm making noise at your party. You know, like this I hear it. something oh, yeah. fast, flashy, cool. Uh, I remember you let me sit in and on a rehearsal a few years ago. I think it was before COVID, or it might have been. It oh no! Been... It, yeah, I remember. It was no, it was way before COVID. Okay. Yeah. And it was really hard to play that fast for that long. Like I, I remember like just falling, just falling off. Like oh my god, I could barely hang. Right. But it's wild the stamina you have to have for your type of gig. Yeah, it, d- it does take in- endurance definitely. But um, once you once you do it, uh, I mean, it's it's not like over the years I, I've. There, there's ways to play hard without completely tiring yourself, which I've slowly have learned, you know, as far as like arm movement, things like that. Um, For anyone who's never seen Evan, his forearms are actually six inches larger in diameter than his biceps because he yeah, just but that's plays a, so damn fast. But that's normal. All drummers can relate <laughs> to that. That's That's completely normal no, for a drummer. Do you want to talk about some of the albums you've played on? Yeah, well, I, I've well, I've played on you know a bunch of different like you know band records. A couple of bands I've been are like Zorn, this band called Alien Birth, great band. A band called Crooked Spine, also great band. And then I played on you know just some other records here and there for my one friend. He has a band Winwood. I've and then I've played on. Uh, Play with my friend Santi Slade from New York, you know. So I, I, here and there, I've I've done the recording process. I've gotten to record at a couple cool studios in in Philly. There's one studio called the Headroom in in Philly, which is like a a really great recording space. A lot of good acts have um, recorded there. You know, like recently, Alex, if you like indie rock, you know Alex G recorded at the headroom and it's cool because he has a song called headroom piano which is which i got to play on the same piano so you know that was exciting did you record piano i did for um a, uh, a record yeah what record um the crooked spine record i mean I, I played drums on it but then i did some like just a couple of piano parts here and there but yeah the the recording process is 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 fun for bands i mean it can be stressful Luckily, I don't have too much trouble with it. You know, like it is kind of hard sometimes when you're a band and you're playing a drum part and then they hit record and then all of a sudden, like everything's like twice as hard. It seems like sometimes. Um, just by way of being recorded? Yeah, yeah. Just like you're now you're now we're recording. So like pressure's on. Yeah, the pressure's on basically. But usually it's okay for me. I don't have too many like mental blocks. Some people when they record. They get in their own head, and I, I've seen it, and it's it gets stressful because you'll be playing a song that you played a hundred times, and you'll be like three three quarters of the way through it, and then somebody will mess up, 
and you're like, oh, wow, this is a great take. Like, I'm killing it. <laughs> and then the guitarist will, like, completely, like, mess up or the basses will mess up. And then you have to redo it again. You're like, damn, that was a good take. You know, some people, or some bands, rather, will will track separately. So drummer will play to a click track. Once that's set, then the basis, you know, it, it's it's everything's isolated, but... A lot of the bands that I'm in, we do we do everything at the same time. We do every, we do it live, and then uh, the thing about minor mistakes with guitar and bass and stuff, you can punch in, which is basically, you know, re-recording the part you messed up. The problem with drumming, at least from the recording sessions that I've done, is if the drummer messes up, the whole you have to just start over. You can't really punch in and fix it because you know you're driving the bus as a drummer. So like the. The drummer being good at recording is definitely the most crucial. So shout out to all my drummers out there. <laughs> they know what I'm talking about. If any drummer is recorded, they know that like it really relies on them to get it perfect. And then like the other intro- the other musicians, obviously they have to kill it as well, but they can punch in, fix notes, things like that for minor mistakes. Why does the drummer have to be so much better? Because is it that, like, if there's a, it's like a glitch in time? If yeah, yeah a... it, I mean, it's especially if you're playing live, a drummer making a mistake and derail the band. But also there, there's so much, there's so, also there's so many mics on the drum as well. So it's, it's, it's harder to punch in and, and to make it fluid because you have the, you know, we were talking about attack, decay, sustain, release for, like, sins, you know. The release on a cymbal is so long. You know, like, you can't really punch it in and have it make sense a lot of times. Mm. I think, like, multi-million dollar studios, you know, for famous bands, they can do whatever they want, you know? They have the technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure as a drummer you can just sound horrible and they'll make it per- <laughs> They'll make it literally perfect. But I've never ex- have experienced that. You know, there's been a couple times, I think, I had a couple late or uh out of sync snare hits you know there there are things you can do with like audio where you know you can move things i mean i use logic there's a thing called flex uh rhythm so you can actually take the the wave file or, or the waveforms and you can move them you know so if like let's say there's a part of the song where like everybody has to play together but the drum but like the kick drum is early you know, you can easily move. You can move that, smidge it over so it lines up. Things like that. Is that like quantizing? Yeah, you you can quantize things, but the, but if you're not playing to a click, which the bands I've been in were not, so you can't really quantize something because there's no grid. Because the tempo is the tempo is never perfect. You know, it fl- it fluctuates a couple BPMs here and there. So the best you can do is really like just move the wave forms. You know. Things like that. You you go your bands go so hard, like we're doing it live. We're not doing a click track. Yeah, we don't do the click track. Which my tempo is is pretty good. I think when I get excited, I tend to rush. So there's been live recordings where yeah, I've known that about you since college. <laughs> uh, no, 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 you're good. No, but there's live recordings where I'm like, damn, that song is very fast. Like pushing, pushing yeah, it's, really hard. It's like not as fast in my head, but then when I watch it, it's very fast. I'm like. Wow, I need to like chill sometimes. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, but it's all like there. Don't you think there's energy in that too? There Especially is. when you're working with live musicians and they're going with it, right? Like if it's vibing, if it's going. Yeah, it fits my style for those bands, but um, at the same time, I uh, try to rein it in because you don't want to kill the groove. sort of personal philosophies have always been interesting to me and helpful to me and uh, I just remember like you know thinking like like we would go to we would talk to each other about advice mm -hmm. I always felt like you were you had more advice for me than I did for you I would ask you for it well that's your personality is that you would you know <laughs> you're very vocal about whatever is happening which you know I like, you know. Do you currently run with any personal philosophies? Are you reading anything lately? Do you, what's going on in your head these days? What do you think about? As far as philosophies go, do I have any concrete ones? Not really. I guess I try to have a balance of what I have to do and what I want to do. So I try to like create a list of things I want to like accomplish. For that day and I try to follow through that's my only philosophy basically and that doesn't include like work stuff you know even though I I like teaching I leave it at work you know like and I'm not thinking about it ever once I get out of there I'm thinking about like things I want to accomplish like musically creatively things like that you know yeah I don't really have like a philosophy though okay let's take it day by day yeah before you know it all the days are gone yeah, yeah. Do you keep a list? Do you actually do you actually write no, down? No, just in my head. Okay. Yeah. I'm not very I'm not very organized, so like keeping you know, keeping track even on my phone, I don't really have I mean, I've had to I've had to finally have get a calendar to write things in just from shows and scheduling tours and things like that. So I don't luckily so I don't like double book myself, you know. But it's not in my personality to like keep a agenda really but over the years i've gotten better at it i mean in college i didn't you know I, I was a pretty bad student i would say unorganized like last minute student you know especially for things that weren't music i mean i failed my i mean at udell you had to take things that weren't music like a lot of state schools which is you know that's how they just get more money out of you so i'd take a math course i failed that freshman year Cause I didn't go, and because you didn't have to go, so I didn't go. So I have a big fat F on my. I still did fine with my GPA, but like, I I had to retake it senior year. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. 
Maybe I did. I yeah, it was I like remember. calculus or something. I mean, I'm really bad at math as it is, but Udell also had like a. Apparently, they had a really hard math program or something. I don't know. So I had to retake that, which is was a waste of money and a waste of time. Especially when I was student teaching, then I had to take this math course. And I was in orchestra, which a lot of student teachers they don't they don't do ensemble. The same semester they're student teaching because it's too much. But I I wanted to do it for some reason. I don't know. I think because you won a second time the audition for first chair. <laughs> Maybe yeah. Maybe my pride got the best of me. I'm glad I did though, because I got to play uh, Beethoven's Mass in C. Cool. Very cool. I don't remember if you were. You, I think you. Oh yeah, you were you were in orchestra that year too. I remember. I don't remember it, the math. Was that the concerto year? Mm, not sure. Because I botched an audition later, like it, junior or senior year at some mm-hmm. point, and I ended up like in symphonic band, and I was really pissed about that. I was it's like, I'm just gonna quit the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I. Anyway. We were talking about kind of time management. That was super hard and it remains hard to me. Like when there's a bunch of stuff you got to do. In college, it was like just if you if you could if you brought yourself to thinking about it, it was insane. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah. Try definitely. not to think about it because there's you're just overwhelmed with everything you have to do and learn and write and play. Yeah, I remember you wake up in the morning. You're like, wow, I have to do all this, all these things, and it's like. It wasn't very fun, a lot of it. Right? Yeah. I didn't I didn't very much enjoy college. I mean, I enjoyed performing. You know, there's a legendary video on YouTube of uh it's just type in the University of Delaware Romeo and Juliet on YouTube. Oh. And there's a video of me if you want to see us in real life, there's me and Frank playing Romeo and Juliet. He's playing bass drum, I'm playing crash cymbals. You know, and the crash cymbal part was cool because it's supposed to emulate the sword fight between I forget who. Who fights? Who has the sword fight in Romeo and Juliet? Wasn't it Romeo and Juliet? <laughs> didn't they? No, have no, a sword Juliet fight? didn't have a sword. <laughs> fight. Um, yeah. So if you, yeah, so YouTube that, come right up. We might also be on YouTube doing some Latin percussion nonsense. No, I think that is gone. Okay, but that's a funny story. So. We had to take Latin percussion, which was which was great, and I, I think you, Frank, um, I mean, you do a lot of Latin percussion now, really well. So I feel like, I mean, you have timba- timbales, uh, congas, to the extent like to uh, the amount of which I do it. But thank you, yeah. But we all had to take it, which I I liked. This our professor Orlando Cato. He would we would have to do this ensemble piece. Now keep in, keep in mind, we're all like white suburban kids. We didn't grow up with like the clave and things like that, so it was all new to us. And we did a good job for you know not growing up with that music, but we up the video got uploaded to YouTube of all of us playing, and we and it somehow got like forty thousand views. Which really? Was, yeah, yeah. Which was like a lot at the time because this was like ten years ago or something, or more than ten years ago, and uh, it somehow went. It somehow like got a lot of views and a lot of comments, and the comments were. <laughs> Weren't exactly <laughs> flattering <laughs> because people were saying, you know, some people were defending us. They're saying, listen, um, clearly they didn't grow up with this music. So like they're learning it like you should be happy. But a lot of the comments were like, 
wow, these gringos really suck. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, they have no feel, no like, no groove, you know. And a lot of the comments were like in Spanish, um, <laughs> just completely trashing us, which was fine. I, I it didn't bother me. I thought it was funny. But again, some people were being supportive and saying, hey, like they're learning the music. Like, that's great. Good for them. I guess we were in, I guess it was sophomore year. Sophomore year, yeah. So we were, you know, 20 or something. We got to, that's the year that if you're going well at UD percussion, well, it was, it's new teachers now, but you would study with Orlando mm-hmm. and focus on marimba and Latin percussion. Yes. Okay, great. <laughs> I wonder what, I wonder what Orlando's up to. All right. I'd imagine he's playing. I, he's probably teaching somewhere. He was a good guy. He doesn't work there anymore? No. They got a duo now. The Quay percussion duo. Gene Kaczynski and like his partner in percussion. They're really good. They're doing a lot with the program. They have a mailing list for alumni. We should go. Interesting. They like do percussion ensemble like concerts and stuff. They're trying to make a thing. They just did the rug over in the Amy DuPont percussion studio. It looks nice. Oh, they redid the rug, huh? They redid the rug. Another story of ours from when we were making, for my senior recital, remember we played Caravan? Video of that, too. Yeah, well, there was another video of that. Do you remember? We did a take that you and I thought was like like heavy metal style shredding Caravan, Uh like super out, experimental, jazzy Caravan. Mm -hmm. And we showed our teacher, Harvey Price, and he was like, no, you have to do this again. This is not an acceptable take. Yeah, I remember you that. I was, luckily, I, w- I, didn't, have to, I didn't have to show him it. You, you showed it to him. Because <laughs> it was your recital, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We were, I, I, but I do remember us being like pretty pissed about it. And then, you know, thinking, oh, he's probably right. Yeah, you know, I, I would be curious to see the first one, because I, I, I think that we uploaded or you uploaded the second one to Facebook, like ten, like more than ten years ago, and it uh, still comes up in the memory from time to time. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, but I, I don't remember the first one really. Was this your junior recital? That was my senior recital, which I really, really loved the programming. It got progressively darker with every song until the hmm. end, and I also mimicked that in the lighting, in the. So I was, I was just, uh, yeah, I was happy with that. It started out with that snare drum piece, the Casey Cangelosi thing. Great piece. And you you killed that too. Thank you. I had fun playing that. I should go back and like learn it again. Yeah, that I feel like that piece really complemented your playing style and Thank your you. chops, definitely. Got it too. Casey Cangelosi. He's teaching he was teaching at JMU. He might still be there. And he's got you know, he's very progressive in his in his music, right? Oh yeah. Smart um, guy. Then I'd had the Raise the Roof with piano accompaniment, which I wouldn't say is necessarily darker than the snare drum etude, but like bigger, bolder, right? Did you play that with the wind ensemble? I played it with the orchestra. The orchestra, yeah. yeah what year was, was that? That was senior year. Oh yeah, that was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. That was my probably one of probably one of my biggest achievements in my life. Oh yeah, I completely forgot you won the concerto competition. I didn't because I have the poster hanging on my wall. That's but cool. that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, that was that was a great that was a great piece. So after raise the roof, I did caravan, and again the the lights got a little dimmer yes. each time. Caravan with you, yeah. and do you remember how we threw in American in Paris lick? <laughs> yeah, I did. That was the only thing that saved us. 
in at the end. You jumped on it, and I like jumped on it with you. Like I, I was like, okay, this is what we're doing. Like, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so, so it got us to the end of that piece together. And this will bring me back to why I'm talking about this in the first place. Was it cringe to do the American Paris look? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we were cringy. Yeah, yeah. Cringy percussion Dorky. Students. You know what else is cringe is the marimba. <laughs> yes, as an instrument. Period, as an instrument. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> why are they so expensive, first of all? <laughs> why are they so big? They second? should be like three grand. They shouldn't be $50,000. <laughs> I guess so, you can buy cheaper ones, but so. So we did Caravan, and mm-hmm. I think that piece is kind of dark. The minor E key thing, and yeah. like it's about, it's like a journey. It's definitely, anyway. And then we did an original piece of music with, that I did with that girl, Lauren. Since, yeah, you did like the electronic. It was, well, nope. it was like, go ahead. It was um, viola and multi-percussion. It was called Ritual. Hmm. That, oh yeah, yeah. That piece was cool. Very ethereal, very spacey, sparse. There was a drum solo in it that I got to improvise on, and then I ended with so so ritual is again like dark instrumentation, and then I ended with that Caron piece, which is a marimba piece, and Caron is the guy that like takes your soul down the river sticks to the underworld. Oh yeah, yeah. So I thought I I just really still think that the programming was very kind of serendipitous and like dark and interesting definitely i remember chameleon on your senior title yeah yeah, yeah I, and i remember yeah, i played it okay precipice I, what else did you play i played some jazz standards on vibraphone i played box oh didn't you do like autumn leaves i didn't do autumn leaves i did there will never be another you and then i did um uh, what is that one song? It's like, oh. the video. what's that song called? Anyway, I did it. I forgot what it's called. It's a jazz or a blues song. Oh, sorry. And then I did, yeah, I did a, a Bach uh, violin sonata, part of it, part of a violin oh, sonata. Oh, yeah. 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 I think you killed that. Yeah, that went pretty well. I mean, it, my recital was okay, you know. Being a music ed student, I didn't I didn't do a junior recital like you did, so that was my first like recital, my yeah, but, only recital. But you came out with a degree that was like actually worth something. Well, that's that's <laughs> up for debate. <laughs> right, right. A teaching is a teaching degree. I mean, I guess it's worth something. And like that, I, to a job, you need that degree, right? Like, yeah, I guess I guess so. Although nowadays there's a massive teaching shortage, so. I think a lot of schools are saying like, oh, you have a music ed degree or you have a music degree. You know, they 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 would probably hire you and then you would just have to promise to work towards your certificate, teaching certificate, you know. Mm-hmm. In New York, that's kind of how it goes. At least like you, you have to get your master's after a certain period of time. To be a teacher? To continue being a teacher. Really? Yeah. And I think it's a stopping point for a lot of people. Yeah. Like, I, personally, no way am I doing that. There's no way I'm going back to school. I'd rather be a bartender. I do want to, I did want to get back to something you said about scheduling and about not going to math class. Uh huh. I still have dreams that I have I, I to take the say. math final and I haven't been to math class. Yep. <laughs> uh, really? 
how did you know that? Because a lot of people have those dreams, myself included. You you realize you have a test or something coming up, and then you're like, oh, God, I haven't been to that. I forgot to go to that class the entire semester. Is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exa- that's exactly the dream. Yeah, it's 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 like a dream where your teeth fall out, you know? Like, a lot of people have uh. the same types of dreams. But, yeah, that's a I have that dream, too. Or I used to. I don't really anymore. Uh, just recently, uh, for a while, I was having similar dreams about not being prepared for rehearsal. And, like, I'm trying to find, like, I can't even find the music in my folder. Oh, I have that dream, too. Yeah. Where I'm just trying to set up. Yeah, for a show. yeah, 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 yeah. And you're trying to get all the wires ready or the the drums ready, and it finally switched from like school to my gigs now. Like I just had the first dream that I can remember, where I was supposed to be playing a wedding or a party gig, and it just I was running through the like different areas of the hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really funny. That, um, yeah, no, that, that the exact same thing happened to me. I, I don't have the school dreams anymore. I have, I'll have a setting up the gig with your head cut off, dream. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You know, which is funny because I just play drums. It doesn't seem that hard, but but because I do electronic music, I play electronic gigs where I have forgotten power cords or something has broken in real in IRL. Then. Uh, so it's for me it's like a mix. I it's like I'm setting up electronic equipment but I'm also setting up like drums. Right. And and like it's taking forever and no, I'm not seeming to get anywhere. So yeah, me too. <laughs> well, cool. That's pretty amazing. Isn't it? What do you think yeah. is behind the math class thing? Just like not What do you think's behind it? As far as the dream or Yeah. What causes that? Well, I what is it? Tro- I think What's it people, trying to tell us? I think why it's like it, why a, is it a trope? It's like a class. Well, it's not. I don't think it's always math. I think it's like just school in general. Like it could be any class that stresses you out as a person. You know, for me it was math. I don't know. I think it's just you know this leftover stress. Okay, so I was trying to round that all out. We were kind of telling some war stories for a minute. Yes, but I was getting back to the bit about when we were recording the video for Caravan yes, to go on my senior recital. Mm-hmm. I remember this moment where we were struggling to finish a section together or maybe finish, get to the end of the tune together. Yeah. And we were, ha- we were, did a few takes. Uh, it was getting a little bit frustrating, not really tense, but, we couldn't we weren't really figuring out what was going on. Uh-huh. And we finished a take like scratching our heads and you go, "You know what? Like I did it right that time. So like whatever you're doing, change it and and you like do it. I'm not I'm not I'm doing it the same. Do that do it how how I'm doing it or whatever." Mm-hmm. And it just gave like our duo ensemble for that. Uh-huh the energy and like a stability that it needed and we got mm. through it and we, we and then we rocked i think because i was playing the bass line also because i was playing the marimba and you were playing the vibraphone do you so remember that moment maybe vaguely but it it makes sense because because I, I think i think i took a solo as well but i was mostly playing the bass line so maybe it was like out of your solo it was hard to get back on you know back to the head of the tune 
or something like that. Yeah, I vaguely remember that, I okay. guess. Where did that come from? Probably Just probably you... late. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, it's probably being late? No, no, I was saying it was probably late in the night. Oh, and you were just I, like, I oh, probably, my God. No, I was probably like, well, I did it right that time. And it was our second time recording it, probably, right? It was like our third or fourth time recording well, it, yeah. Well, our Professor Harvey said... Uh, no, this was before that. This was oh, the, was before this that. Was the okay. crazy take that we did. Okay. Yeah. Huh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I have a... As far as performing, I don't know if I have a philosophy per se. I guess it depends on the project. It's all just flowing nowadays, though. I mean, I guess this is going to relate back to, like, what's guiding you when you're making original drums for the bands that you're in? Because they're, they're yeah. related, right? Just experience, you know, playing in that style and also, like, you know, obviously, like, listening is the most important thing. Like, I remember, like, Tom Palmer, Palmer the jazz guy at, the, at our college, you know, he would always talk about listening. If you don't listen to jazz, like, how are you ever going to play it? And I think it's true for a lot of different, like, a lot of music. Obviously, you don't want to, like, imitate, but learning the style is, like, I think really rewarding in a way where, like, you're building off of, you know, something that has, has existed for a long time. You know, when you were watching cartoons in your diaper, like, people were out there, like, perfecting a genre or like you know really contributing and and for and like creating a genre so when you're older and you like that music it's i think it's really good to like just you know listen to it and study it and like appreciate it. and then you and then you apply your own personality to it who are you listening to now you know i'm listening to a lot of electronic music you know there's this artist rolando simmons that i like and then it's what's their name rolando simmons rolando yeah simmons yeah okay it's like idm which is like a form of like electronic music electronic dance music and then as far as bands go what's the uh, i stand for intelligent i so it's intelligent (laughs) dances which i didn't come up with that term so don't blame me for uh yeah but i understand like sounds like stuck up yeah, I didn't come up with that. <laughs> Some people call it brain dance. Oh, right. That's how I know Aphex Twin. Yeah, and, yeah. And, um, and I love Aphex Twin PS because of you. You introduced me to Aphex Twin. Yeah, A- Aphex Twin famously said, I don't like the term IDM because it implies <laughs> that other music is not intelligent, which is which is completely right. So he kind of pushed to gravitate. So he never used the term IDM. He used brain dance. Right. So it's the same genre, basically. But IDM just stuck. Like people still use it to this day. Over brain dance, you know. But it's it's a it's a great style of music. It's it's very like. I mean, if you like, really, cool rhythms and and really interesting like harmonic content, it's like a great. But it's also like easy listening in a weird way. It's like not difficult to listen to either. So. And as far as rock music goes, I've been listening to a lot of bands. Like there's a punk band that's pretty popular that I like called Public Acid from North Carolina, I think, north of South Carolina. And then as far as metal, you know, there's a bunch of different bands that I like. I've been listening to this band called Thou recently. It's pretty good. So, yeah. Okay. How'd you get 
how'd you come into public acid did you play with them or we did early on yeah and then they've recently become more popular since we played with them but we're hoping to play with them again when we go on tour when we drop this record oh cool what did you like about them just the energy and kind of what i was saying earlier about like just like the culmination of like that punk style with like a new modern feel to it and like very energetic great drums yeah good drums for obviously yeah sick <laughs> do you know the drummer are you friends with him nah i probably met him but i don't remember uh i saw on instagram that you got to open for lightning bolt which has yeah, been one of your one favorite band. bands for a long time and you got to talk to that drummer you got to who is he what's his name yeah it was cool because um i uh well the drummer's name is brian chippendale and it yeah, it's kind of one of those affirming things in your life because I remember being in high school, really liking that band and going to see them and being like, "Wow!" And I remember watching the opening bands and be like, "How is that possible? Like, how?" It it wasn't really like, "How do you get good enough to play?" But I was like, "How do you get cool enough to like be in that scene?" But then I realized you don't have to be cool; you just have to stick around long enough, huh. and you know, you just have to put in the work to like. You know, a lot of people, they live in cities and they want, they're like, well, how do I join a band, blah, blah, blah. And really just going to shows and meeting people and joining bands that aren't that good and then transitioning to other bands. That's really the only way you can do it, really. You can't really make a Craigslist post or a, or something like that. And you can't do it online from what I found. Like as far as local music goes, getting into the, your local music scene, you really have to do it in real life which is I, it's hard for a lot of people even myself because i am like introverted so i don't like meeting new people necessarily unlike you frank this is true and I, yeah i don't like putting myself out there so for me it was just like sticking around long enough you know obviously like being practicing and being good and being creative like all that contributes to it but yeah it, it was cool to open up for a band that i really liked as a kid and all these years later even though i'm not rich I don't own a house or anything like that. I felt like the younger me would have been like, you know, proud of that at least. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. So w was that a goal for you? It wasn't a goal per se. It was just like, well, it's, yeah, to play at that level was a goal. An accomplishment maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What about you? Do you, you know, you're you're playing some pretty high level gigs mm -hmm. and events like you're playing in philly this tomorrow tomorrow night saturday night at a very fancy place pretty very fancy. expensive the crystal tea room mm -hmm. i don't know i've never been there it's nice he is gonna have a guy that'll help me load in mm -hmm. and i'm like oh that feels good you know that's good um, yeah, you do have some stuff you don't have a ton of I mean, it's not too bad, right? Loading in and out. It's a two trip. It's two trips to the car for me with mm -hmm. my cart. Plus, I'm bringing some microphone equipment, so it'll be a third trip. Yeah. Um. But, you know, just to have somebody there to help me, like if they need to stay with my stuff or something, because it's in a building, I think. Mm -hmm. So you know, just if when you're when you're getting there and you might feel like a little under the gun, I guess. Recently, I did have a a New Year's Eve gig where. That was a, that was a bit of an accomplishment for me. I got to play in Times Square on New Year's Eve. Not like yeah. not like in the Times Square party that goes on TV, but 
I got to be there when the ball dropped. And the cool thing was that at a quarter to 12, we, everybody went outside and we all watched the ball drop. Like as a New Yorker, as a any any New Yorker with any sense of pride in being a New Yorker, yeah, would never go to Times Square and wait for eight hours to see the ball drop. That's what I heard. I mean, you have to like piss your pants. Stuff. Yeah, you have to, like, people wear, wear diapers. diapers. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't understand how that's fun, but yeah, I don't know. It's very <laughs> it's not. Ro- robotic behavior. Yeah, very NPC. There yeah. you go. But I was at the Hard Rock Cafe. It's like three hundred feet away from the building where the ball drops. Yeah, and that's qu- cool. And at Very quarter cool. to twelve, everybody in that building with like a wristband or a pass goes outside, and there's actually VIP space right in front of the ball drop. Wow! Did Which you, did, is that what you did? No, I actually went. Playing? I went back a little further. No, mm-hmm. I wasn't playing at that yeah, point. Yeah. Everybody's outside at the yeah, yeah. party where I was at. I went back a little further because it was still super crowded where where I was standing. So I just kind of walked back until I found a nice spot, and yeah, it was still underwhelming. I'm so glad, <laughs> you know, I'm glad I got to see it that way and that I was working for it and had that experience. But, yeah, you know, I, I had said to you for one reason or another earlier that the gig was not super fulfilling uh, just in the way it went. Do you have any similar like crappy stories? Is there one venue that you won't ever go play again? Or like that um, your bands won't go play? Yeah, because... we've had, especially early on, we've had bad shows. Nothing to you know just normal gig stuff i mean i remember the first time we went to atlanta we we played a venue um and you know it it just it wasn't very well put together the local the locals who set it up you know there's an order for touring bands especially you know newer touring bands where a, a local if they'll say there's four bands on the ven on the bill the lo- a local will play first, touring act will play in the middle, second or third, and then the the bigger local will play last. So in Philly, we're always playing last with Zorn, and then whoever's touring is in the middle. So, you know, there's been times this is this Atlanta time. You know, you you get there and things change. There's a lot of gear, like you know, there's gear coordination as far as amps and guitar cabs and drums, you know, who's if they're going to share gear and things like that. Um, you know, so we get there and like the bigger band, you know, they're assholes and they all of a sudden they want to play second and then everybody leaves and like now we're playing to nobody and we're in Atlanta, you know, wow. and it's a shitty bar gig. So things like that have, have, has happened before, you know. Like I said, there's a lot of variables with like playing your own music in bands. That's one example I can think of a bad gig. We've... We made mistakes on tour as well. I mean, we we played a show in uh, Cleveland, and it went really well. And then the promoter was like, "Hey, we're we have a big wrestling event the next day. You guys want to stay here and play again for this like like it was a massive like amateur wrestling event where there was like hundreds of people. And we were like, "Oh yeah, sure." But we had a gig, we had a gig in Detroit the next day, and we were looking at the gig in in Detroit, and it wasn't looking as good. So, this is not necessarily professional, but we were like, well, we have to bail on this Detroit gig. We're going to play this awesome wrestling event where there's hundreds of people and and we're going to get to watch wrestling. And so we make that decision and I end up 
everyone's too scared to call the Detroit guy. So I, I call him. I'm like, hey, you know, we got offered this massive event. Like they're gonna they're gonna pay us a lot of money. You know, they like we're on tour. We kind of need it. And the guy on the phone's like, oh yeah, I totally get it. Like no problem. Well, apparently he was lying because he was very very pissed. He was super pissed. So he started calling everybody. He called our friend that kind of was the in between, and was freaking out at him. So now the friend's freaking out at us. Like, hey, like how could you do this to my guy? And Everyone and just, and so for a while there, were, I think there was a pocket of punks in Detroit that just hate our band. Like they're really <laughs> pissed and they hate us. And you go, uh, when you play in Detroit, you go under Gorn. You and it's play funny, under Gorn. Yeah, and this was a couple. Of, I think I think all those people probably are. They have kids now and stuff, so they probably don't exist anymore. But um, what's funny is so we make Instagram posts and all the. Po- all the comments are pretty positive, but I remember one time I got we got this one comment that was like "fuck this band" or like "f this band," and I just click on the profile and I just out of curiosity, and it just says <laughs> "so and so from Detroit," and I'm like, "oh wow!" So you have haters. That's and, good. You know, in retrospect, I've realized that being enticed with a better gig and bailing on the Detroit gig, we actually I think were in the wrong technically. It's like I I think. In the long, you know, playing a playing a good show is awesome, and this show was very hard to resist. But I, I think to be a successful like like band, you have to like you have to work with other people, and you have to like kind of keep your promises, and you know, create a community. So like, I do I do think we made the wrong call there. We we probably should have just been like, hey, we have this gig in Detroit. Like, let's we're gonna play that. You know, I think it was at a record store. It we were playing another reason why we decided to bail on it because we were playing with like we weren't playing with any other bands we were playing with like a, a goth dj so i guess in our minds we were like we're not really screwing over any other bands huh but it, i think it was the wrong call basically i, I guess it kind of foiled that whole event yeah because because like the dj to the band and like you guys were going to be featured there yeah it did and um you know the wrestling gig was great but I think in the long run, you know, you don't really want to make enemies along the way. I'd like to tell you why I don't think you made the wrong decision. Okay, go ahead. With I understanding the caveats that you just uh-huh. said, right? Like because I will I'll okay, so I'll say this. Free gigs lead to more free gigs. And you weren't yeah. playing for free, but no, the Detroit gig, well, it wasn't a free gig. No. And they were going to take care of us. But in my experience, we're like, you know, when, we, when, we're, get, when we're out of school and we're look, trying to get music work, like mm-hmm. free gigs, and, and like I've done community orchestra and stuff, you're playing free gigs, you really only get recommended for more free gigs. Very, I would say that's very true, except for local band stuff. Okay. Because I would say most local bands can agree you're not you don't you're, if you do get paid you get paid a 100 bucks and right and splitting that between five people is basically not getting paid so you know a lot of people they play in bands for the experience and, and it's kind of like it's kind of a bummer because but it's just a fact of life there's so many people willing to play for free right to be in a scene to party to meet people to meet girls and guys and hook up that there's just a lot of bands out there playing for free, and so I, I so I think anybody 
trying to join a band, you have to realize that for the first handful of years, you're going to be playing for hundred bucks, you know? So as a general rule, the, yeah. the, the statement stands free gigs lead to more free gigs. Yeah. There's again, yeah. like as a, it's a general statement. Hmm. It's been a lot of my experience and you're, you're kind of saying like, yeah, you build a profile. I, I get that too. Yeah. Like, but, but eventually I guess even on my smaller level, I, I've been able to push into push to the above tier where we are starting to get paid for these shows. You right. Know? Right. Like Zorn, we went, like when we travel, especially to like New York, we get paid a decent amount, which is good. Cool. But for as for the wrestling gig, you know, higher paying gigs, again, in my experience, have led to more higher paying gigs. I agree with that. So I only use the free gig example because that was kind of all I knew for a while. And now that, you know, we're both making a little money doing this. Well, you're making money, <laughs> which is good. Yeah. Well, I mean, you but just said a different New, world, New York. Though, right, yeah, right, yeah. right. And and it, and I think that your experience like is also more fulfilling at times as well. Like you're on the road with a band of guys, you're friends, you're like you have each other's backs. As you're making money, you're sharing some success. Like that's cool. I'm doing like a solo freelance thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's not the best example either. But here's why it was good to do the wrestling gig. Uh-huh. Because Maybe the guy that produced that show thinks you guys are the greatest thing that ever happened, and now he wants to book you three dozen times mm. for the wrestling tour. Like, wouldn't would that not be awesome for you guys? Yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah, I see the logic. But I understand. Yeah, you let somebody down, and that's that feels like a bad karma. It's not even bad karma per se. I, I think, like, basically, my point is, while the gig was a a good show. It's not worth the promise of like, like one gig is not going to make or break your band usually yeah. from what I found. So yeah. it, it's better to stick to the plan to a degree. You know, this was a cool, this wrestling gig was cool, but it wasn't like a God level gig okay. where, you know, it'd be one thing if like someone's like, Hey, you know. I'm so-and-so from so-and-so records. We're throwing, you know, we want you for our wrestling gig. Like, you know, it, I think stick to the plan to a degree because you don't want to, you don't want to have any, you don't want to miss your shot. But also, like, you don't want to, like, chase your, your, there's no one moment usually that's going to, like, push you to the top. It's like a culmination of things, I think at least. And it's better to, like, you know, treat people right, and who knows? The Detroit gig could have been sick. I mean, we never went. Yeah, you know, it's almost like a gra like grass. There is were six hundred devoted Zorn fans. And yeah, or or, or <laughs> not even outside a... the door, like beating down the sort of the record store, and you just had no idea. Yeah, or even or, or it really it could take. It it doesn't even have to be fans. It, it could the show could have had thirty people there, but. Maybe some people that are in some amazing bands that would be interested in playing with us and vice versa. And you never know what so what somebody else's like trajectory is, you know. Yeah, that's true. Like just like I said, for the wrestling game, yeah. it could have been a big shot. And you're like, Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, like the record store worker could end up being a producer for a major label, you know, like 
So, so I, I think it's just in the long run, it's, it's better to um, stick to the plan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. On that, let's get going. Good. We'll do. We'll, we can pick up. Thank you, Evan, for many years of friendship and for talking to me on the show. I hope you had as much fun as I did. The music featured on this episode, in order, was written by QQQ, Zorn, Alien Birth, and now playing is a song called Circus, also by QQQ. Follow Zorn on Instagram at Zorn underscore Philly. Follow Alien Birth at Alien underscore Birth. Reach Evan at starless.end.bible.black with two Ks. If you want to be on the podcast, send me a message at Frank's Percussion on Instagram. Thanks for listening. I love you.